our global response center or global security operations center, we're keeping tabs of what's happening in the local geographic region and then how that may impact our people on the ground. This is a pandemic. Folks are really intrigued and paranoid about what's happening and having somebody around their homes, around the buildings, workplace, and have the level of feeling of security. I think that's a great value add for the clients. Welcome to the CIO Exchange podcast. I'm Edine Porter de Leon. This is another special episode recorded via conference call during the COVID-19 crisis, in which most people have been ordered to shelter in place. One of the biggest challenges from employees working at home has been how to ensure the physical and digital security of people and places. Some organizations have been more prepared than others, yet all have been rapidly adapting to meet the unique challenges they face in the new normal. In this episode, we speak with J.P. Sione, CIO of SOS Security, who has been leading efforts to keep humans safe, along with protecting information, despite the constraints of this crisis. Hear how he and his team are using technology not only to better serve their organization's customers, but to better protect their employees working in the field who are risking their own safety to protect others. JP, we're all still sheltered in place and business hasn't quite opened up yet. There's still a lot of constraints, but we have seen some of the results of the way in which some businesses are adapting, some of the solutions that people have come up with, and also some really good stories of how well people were prepared First, before we get into too much of the business people, I want to talk about sort of the people aspect of this, JP. What has been your experience just personally, and what has been your experience in some of the ways in which you've made observations about how the team at your company has handled this? What have been some of the fears, some of the trepidations? Give me that perspective. Hi. Yeah, good to talk to you today. No, that, those are great questions to ponder upon, and especially when we are still sort of in the middle of this crisis for a pandemic. In my view is the best response, of course, is is to be ready before such a crisis hits, since options do become limited when a disruption is in full swing and we're sort of in the middle of it. But having said that, I think we all plan really when it gets put to test like this, especially at such a large scale where there's a global disruption for the same root cause. We in our business really are people centric. We are in a man guarding business where people are protecting assets from physical to logical to otherwise, and then executive protection. Again, people are protecting people. So we really couldn't leverage that whole concept of, hey, let's send people home and have them work remotely. That was only applicable to a fraction of our workforce, which we call the back end office or back office folks. But majority of our employees are front-facing. So you're in a really unique situation where you have people that can't shelter in place, that cannot work from home. These are people who are in the field actually like securing the safety and the lives of individuals and also the physical security at locations. They can't work remotely. So you have a pretty serious constraint. How are you enabling those people who have to be in the field and have to work out there? How are you enabling them? Yeah, no, you're right. And we fall in that essential services category. So we also ensured that we gave the option to our employees uh, not to be forced into that situation. And if they have concerns or apprehensions about coming to work, they're not feeling safe, they have to raise their hand. And we have a program around that on how we handle that. Again, at the core of it, safety of our people is our paramount concern. So we start with people, right? That's really the, the crux of it. The welfare of our employees is paramount. And obviously, people are the most critical resource for our organization and our sector, if you would. 
We have focused on a couple of things. One, the safety of our people. Second, the communication aspect to our internal employees and our clients. And then the third aspect of that is we assessed our supply chain, things that are feeding into us to help support our employees and our clients for services we deliver. So starting with that, we maintained a healthy level of skepticism. That's important. We relied on running outage scenarios to assess the possibility of unforeseen impacts. And all of that really got put to test in these times. Yeah, I imagine. I mean, that's what really fascinates me is this is a black swan event. This is something that's really unique. And however you prepare for this, it's never enough supplies and certain vendors and certain constraints all kind of coming together at the same time. So what were some of the big surprises, some of the big things that really were put to the test? I imagine you had to adapt. When you prepare for this, you can't fully prepare no one could foresee this happening at this time. Now, what were some of the ways that you had to adapt and, and how did you use some of the capabilities you had? Maybe you used them in ways you didn't imagine and creative ways to help you deal with it. Absolutely. Most of the things held well, but again, there is always an unknown and there's always an opportunity to improve and things that were designed well, but didn't hold well. Uh, and that's all right. We fared well overall with quite a bit, few challenges to worry about. So, We have technologies today that we invested primarily for running a business on a daily basis to think about a loan worker situation, somebody protecting a physical asset. There is a post, the person has to be at the post, but also has to do rounds. Could be in a car, patrolling in a car, or could be patrolling in a different vehicle or on foot. So we have to worry about the safety of these people. Those technologies also allowed us to have a geo-stamping of where they are when they're checking in for work and when they're checking out for work. So we brought all that to bear in these circumstances to take it to the next level to really get a good level of communication in real time with our employees. So we knew exactly where our employees are, how they're moving around, and then our global response center or global security operations center combination thereof, we're keeping tabs of what's happening in the local geographic region and then how that may impact our people on the ground. So that helped. We no, that's really interesting. I mean, tying those two together, you've got the geo-tracking, but then you also got a response center that's watching through dangerous aspects. Was this used in a way of, that you had imagined using it before, or was this sort of a unique way in which some of the technology pieces you already had in place were being repurposed for something that, that really helped with sort of the personal safety of the people you depend on most? We started thinking about what are the other usage of this and where these things could come to play and help us in, call it an emergency operations-centric this is a pandemic, but it could be a different situation where we're having a natural disaster or a terrorist threat or any of those like. So we were thinking on that and we had done some homework on this already. So for us to bring it to bear and together didn't take that long, but certainly there were some wrinkles to be worked through to really create a more comprehensive emergency operations center that really brought us all together in, again, keeping our employees safe and making sure we could still deliver on the promise to our clients. That's also sort of a way of giving back to the community. Yes, we're getting paid for those services, but in times like this, I think that's putting the bomb on the wound concept, if you would. Folks are really intrigued and paranoid about what's happening and having somebody around their homes, around the buildings, workplace, and have the level of feeling of security. I think that's a great value add for the clients. So that certainly helped in a nutshell. Like you said, there's a lot of trepidation. There's fear, There's a lot of uncertainty. 
people don't know what's happening next. And having that physical security that they're relying on, I think is probably really key. But I imagine that communication actually, because you have this technology, you have the physical security, but I feel like a communication has got to be a huge part of that. How is the communication? Was that a key part of this disaster or emergency response plan that you've put in place? Absolutely. I think in times of crisis, crisis communication is the cornerstone of success or failure. So we have a two-pronged communication strategy that we had designed and is in the play. The internal comms and comms focused on our customers. When we say internal, it's employees and stakeholders. And then, of course, the messaging going to our customers is consistent with what we are spreading internally because otherwise there'll be an operational confusion. So we really took a holistic angle around that and we tailored the messaging to our audience, whether it's a social media channel available to us or whether it's a direct communication through email or phone calls. But the consistency of that and the credibility of the information we are sharing, that was super important in the communications uh, aspect. And I imagine the customers are key, but with your employees, the people who rely on the most, what were some of the concerns that were brought? Because there's a lot of confusion in the beginning. Nobody's really sure. Are we essential service? Do we have to show up? What are the precautions we're going to be taking? What kind of ways in which I'm supported? How did you help navigate through that? Since you're a technology leader at this company, what do you feel like your, where your role was most essential in helping to navigate sort of a lot of that trepidation? Absolutely. So we brought all these stakeholders together, some key customers and customers that we knew were going to be in the impact zone as the pandemic was spreading from different coasts coming together. So we had a company-wide effort on this and we put together a cross-functional go team with representation from our PR team, our social media team, email, mobile, website, from the IT and information security or cybersecurity team together. And really, you know, let's not forget the, the logistics and the supply chain component of that and people who are involved in that. And then we sort of sprinkle the customer service team on top of it. So that really came together nicely where we have an ongoing cross-functional pollination and then a good house clearing mechanism to what you know content gets communicated, when does it get communicated, and then that ties us to the technology part on how do we disseminate this. So we leveraged all the existing technologies that either we had directly in place for communication or comms, or we repurposed some of the technologies that are in the play. Things like how we communicate with our guards on the ground. We have a two-way communication system with them right on their phones. It's a secure channel for us to talk to them and for them to report the incidents as they see it. So we love repurpose that technology to really disseminate real-time information about what's happening, what to expect next, and how to react, or how to, again, continue to report some of those things that gives us a real live visibility on the ground. But in the background, there's a lot of a technology stack that compiles it all together. I think technology certainly played a huge role in our case in the assimilation of all that threat landscape and the communication aspects, whether it's ingestion of that or dissemination of information outbound. Since we're a couple of months into this, into sort of the real intense parts of it, this has been going on for months and months now, but since we're beginning to see what some would call a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, we still don't have vaccines or effective treatments. So there's a lot of concerns, but the curve has been flattened is a little bit more of a, a sense of hope, but we still have to be really vigilant. Where do you feel like now that sort of that big first wave has hit, where do you feel like you've seen those successes or what were the things that really, I should say, in the beginning, 
really concerned you. This is intense. We don't know what's happening next. There's a lot of fear and uncertainty. What were you really concerned with? And how has that changed now after a couple months? And, and how do you feel like you worked through that? Great question. I think our biggest concern was, you know, what does it really mean? The categorization of services and people's ability to be able to show up for work. Also, some of the regulatory aspects that we had to consume are we under essential services, not under essential services? There are some gray areas to deal with. The willingness and the ability for the people to show up to these posts, our ability to provide them with the personal protective gear to be on the ground, and our ability to give the level of confidence to our clients that still will be able to protect their assets. Those were all the challenges for the first few weeks. As the guidance evolved from the regulatory agencies to the political landscape to the actual ground realities on the state or local level, there was quite a bit of learning on the go. And we had to make some decisions of our own with our best informed interpretation of those things with a simple twofold intent to continue to protect our customers and continue to ensure the safety of our employees. And so we made some decisions based on our historical knowledge, based on our interpretation of the guidelines. And I think we had a pretty good, decent outcome. It's intriguing to see the level of commitment of our employees and the willingness to step up in times like this and continue to serve the clients, even in areas and tough areas where the pandemic is spreading pretty vividly. If you would, people showed up for work. They had the resolve to get through it continue to take care of their families at the same time, keep the commitment for the clients. It's pretty amazing when you see individuals who are charged with the protection of others, making those types of sacrifices, taking those types of risks. There's been a tremendous amount of heroism throughout this crisis. And it's interesting to have you be in a position where you're seeing that firsthand and enabling them through technology, but also the human element, of course, as we've all seen, has been the most important part of this. I wanted to just check in with you two on some logistic pieces as well. I think there's a lot of things that you prepared well for, but there's also certain things that are always out of our control. There's always efforts to ensure there's no supply chain disruption, for example, and you need to supply your people with whether it's technology enablement or whether it's physical enablement, like personal protective equipment. What were some of these sort of unforeseen things that ended up being out of your control, like from a supply chain disruption standpoint? What did you have to do to kind of overcome that? Yeah, so I think from a supply chain point of view, we always think we're prepared. But when there's so many things feeding into you or feeding from your business to other businesses, we're part of the supply chain link. And having a very clear understanding of how resilient is your supply chain in addition to what emergency response plan you may have for yourself, I think that's critical. And some lessons learned on that, which is no different than cybersecurity of lessons we have all learned over the years uh, with some breaches from the third-party suppliers. Here, the resiliency of a business operation and the dependency of the supply chain got highlighted beyond one's imagination. So to help strengthen the ecosystem of a resilient supply chain, I think that's some of the lessons that we have learned and we are in the process of compiling those and timely will debrief with our supply chain partners 
and then understand how we can work together to overcome those going forward. Some specific examples that come to mind are about communication strategy, some of the protective gear strategy, and more importantly, the tracking of some of the subcontractors. When I say tracking, really we're talking about the systems we spoke earlier about, our ability to interact with them real time. Maybe we need to go a little bit above and beyond to onboard some of these folks or have the ability to onboard them onto our technology and systems very quickly in a more seamless manner. So again, those are lessons learned, some of the challenges that we had to work through on our supply chain. While we're at that, I think some of the things that I would like to share here that certainly came to light overall outside the supply chain is sort of five different things I could quickly talk about. Really show that you care. In times like this, people seek connections. They want to have reliable information. They want to hear from you. They want to have a sense of belonging and care. So you got to find ways, whether it's leveraging technologies or traditional channels, to show your employees and your customers that you care. I'm really glad you mentioned that because I think that's absolutely key. And some of the pieces that have been lost in certain organizations, and it's great that you highlighted that because without that, a lot of the other things become a moot point. Absolutely. Consider a message to customers, as an example, to show them that, yes, you're aware of the issues. Maybe you don't have a solution right away, but acknowledging the challenge and making that first outreach is a good first step in the direction that, hey, we care. And then be proactive in your communications. Everybody can talk a lot about how that can be done. I think in our case, you know, we leverage everything to create a communication strategy different channels that came to play, including emails, SMS, social media channels, our IVR systems, some of the chatbots we had with our clients came in handy. Some of the headers and call it footers on your websites or other channels. If you bring it all together, you'll be able to see that the collective power of that really comes to play. And the key there is the consistency of the messaging. I think that proactiveness is one thing, but the consistency and the accuracy of the message that's consistent across these different platforms is key. And that's something that some of the lessons learned for us, and we'll be improving on that. But I'd like to share that with others to say, don't leave any channel untouched, leverage it. And then offer a shoulder to lean on in times like this. I think there is the authentic humanity part to this. Find a way where you're offering the community or the clients to sort of leverage that shoulder to lean on, whether it's seeking for help, whether it's providing feedback in real time or whatnot. At the end of the day, being a good corporate citizen, inspiring the audience, how do we keep our people excited? How do we motivate them on an ongoing basis? We have done a lot of internal effort on that in making sure that folks are leading from the front versus shouting orders from an office or a desk. That's important. In times like this, leaders really have to step in the front, of course, with a calculated risk strategy. And then last component that I would like to share with you that we're taking it to heart is really audit the content of the cues associated to it, to all the feedback that came in, all the stuff that you captured, whether that was a feedback, whether there's a new strategy, whether that was actions, tactical actions or adaptations you had to make to the play in that game plan. Take all that and then when the time is right, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, before it gets too old and stale, please audit that content. We have serious plans for it because that's really when you apply those to how can we do it better next time and then tie it into your emergency response plan or a business continuity plan. Again, it's important for any brand. No, I think that's really great perspective. And it's a good lead in too, to the ways in which, because you're looking at, you're taking all these inputs, 
You're applying them to the current way in which you look at how you execute, how you build strategy. So with that perspective in mind, what do you think is going to change forever now? After the shift in the way that you've had to do business, you've had to protect your people, communicate with your customers, execute from a technology standpoint. How do you think this has shifted everything that you are doing and other people in other industries are doing for the foreseeable future? What do you think is not going to go back to the way it was before? That's an ongoing dialogue. I've been talking to quite a few friends and colleagues, and I think there is this whole concept of the new norm. Much of that is permanent. I wouldn't call it a setback, but in times of crisis, I think you see new norms evolve, and most of that is going to be incorporated into the ways of life going forward. So a couple of things come to mind to answer the question specifically. You will see a direct impact on hiring. Let's talk about that for a second. So you have executive and senior leadership hiring projected to grow dramatically in Q3 and Q4 of this calendar year, rightfully so. And here's why. There are already studies out there, and I've seen a lot of movement on that front already. In times of crisis like this, either companies are realizing that they didn't have the right leadership. That means there was a void. They're going to create roles. And this is not necessarily just to deal with disaster recovery and emergency management, but think of a strategic IT leader in the context of our discussion. Companies that didn't have a strategic IT leader, they pretty much have realized at this point. So there are going to be those roles created. And then some of us in the current roles, in these strategic roles that didn't fare well, well, expect to see some churn on that. So overall, strong impact to senior leadership and strategic hiring. The Hiring in the middle section is not going to get impacted as much, but the big permanent, call it change to the hiring for the fresh candidates, folks who are just coming out of their undergrads or grad school, I think that's really we're going to see a lot of impact, material impact, in other words, because some of the roles have evolved in the last six weeks. The traditional roles that we thought were going to get hired people may not hire those roles. They may hire somebody with different skills or hire people that can be trained to handle things differently. Also to the effect that the assumptions for most of the roles that, hey, only these roles are good for telecommuting or work from home. And most of the other roles were always perceived and conceived to be in the four walls of the office. Well, guess what? We've all worked from home, even organizations like Fox and CNN and you name all these media houses have been able to produce content from home, from working remotely. So I think those are the permanent impacts that certain type of roles will go through that transformation of hiring or role adaptation. So that's one part of it. I think the other thing that's evolving in terms of the changes that may come to the table is the investment in remote technologies and the security aspects related to it. It's a big shift too. So I'd love to get your perspective on that. How do you secure this new corporate boundary that you have now that everyone's not, most people aren't in those four walls anymore? You got it. And companies had to halt their Zoom meetings and other platforms because there were ghosts coming in. There were people who were able to bomb those meetings, if you would, or show up uninvited. Exactly. It's It's crazy. Yeah. So think about, okay, you had the ability to work remotely. One, the bandwidth or the resiliency or scalability of that got put to test. But secondly, the security related to that, whether it's your internal platforms or a third-party platform got really put to test. So 
I see a permanent shift in that investment strategy by most of the firms to really make sure that their resources are accessible remotely and they're able to scale it out as needed. But how do they secure those channels? How do they really deal with something like this again? Because same pandemic could repeat in winter. I mean, there's already a bit of talk about that. We could see something similar on a global scale again. So I think that's another permanent aspect, which is the security-related investment as it relates to remote workforce. I think that's a permanent shift. You're going to see a lot of investment, a lot of hiring related to that as well would be another new norm that we should expect to see. No, I think that's perfect. And I think it's a, a great place to end the conversation. JP, you provided some great perspective. You're in the trenches. You're solving problems under really unique constraints. I appreciate you having a conversation today. Thanks for joining the CIO Exchange podcast. Thanks, Ian. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the CIO Exchange podcast. For more conversations with technology leaders from around the world, consider subscribing to this podcast. And to get video perspectives and deep research, visit vmware.com slash CIO.